Good evening. The six, the four o'clock crowd was louder than that. Good evening. Thank you. Goodness, there we go. That's better. All right. So, last week we talked about the son of David and that Jesus is the son of David. We're going to continue our series this week on finding Jesus. This week we'll be looking at the fact that he is the son of man. I need you to listen fast tonight. i got about 25 minutes to get through this, okay? Um, so, y'all listen fast and I'll talk fast. Um, and uh, so, let's go. Simple enough? Y'all know who I am? I know who you are. If you don't know who I am, ask the person sitting beside you. They might can tell you. All right, if they can't, ask the person sitting beside them. Eventually, you'll find out who I am. I will add this before we get started. Uh, I went ahead and took the notes from last week and, co- and printed them off. So they're at the back as well as with the notes from this week. Uh, if you uh, just, I don't know, if you wanted to have those, that's fine. All right, so there you go. Uh, Jesus' favorite title for, him, for himself in the New Testament uh, is the Son of Man. Uh, it's also a title that's used 107 times in the Old Testament. However, because of the way that it's used in the Old Testament, uh, a lot of times when you hear somebody uh, talk about what does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of Man, they'll immediately go to his humanity. Uh, and that, well, that just, you know, that tells us that Jesus is the Son of Man. He's fully human. And, and that is true. Jesus is fully human. Uh, and it is also true that uh, most of the time when the title Son of Man is used in the Old Testament, especially in Ezekiel, it's used 93 times in Ezekiel, uh, it is to reference the humanity of the person, of the messenger. And so there is some truth to that. However, uh, when we read about when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, a couple of things stick out. Number one, he usually does so referencing his authority. If he's not referencing his authority, authority, then he's usually referencing his suffering or the suffering that's going to take place with his death on the cross, which leads you to the question of what exactly does Jesus mean when he says Son of Man? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to see uh, when all of this this, uh, Jesus being asked who he was and and declaring that he's the Son of Man really kind of comes to culmination here as Jesus is facing uh, his trial, and uh, he's standing before the high priest. The high priest is asking him who he is, uh, and in Matthew chapter 26, verse 57, it says, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, that you help us to understand how significant the title of Son of Man was. Lord, even the high priest understood the significance of Jesus proclaiming himself as the Son of Man. Lord, he tore his clothes, called it blasphemy, but help us to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. 
Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. The high priest, when he hears Jesus say that even the Son of Man will be lifted up, first Jesus says what? Jesus first says, yep, you're right. You said it. I didn't say it. He says, are you the Son of God? He said, you said it. I didn't say it. Right? And then he adds, oh, and by the way, I'm the Son of Man. And one day the Son of Man is going to be coming on the clouds. And when he says that, immediately the high priest would have referenced the fact that Daniel chapter 7 says, guess what? Exactly the same thing. Matter of fact, if you turn back to Daniel chapter 7, it says this. It says, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. That's in verse 12. And then verse 13 and verse 14 says this. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So as the high priest heard Jesus make the claim that he was the Son of God, and then referenced the fact that the Son of Man was going to do what the Son of Man had been prophesied to do, he would have immediately went back and seen what Jesus was saying through the lens of Daniel chapter 7. And so that's why the high priest recognized what Jesus was saying. And since he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of Man, he tore his clothes and shouted blasphemy. Which also brings us to the same conclusion that we talked about last week, which is either you got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is or you don't, right? It's one way or the other. There's one side to that or the other side to it. For us to understand the significance of Jesus as the Son of Man... Fully human, yet also fully God. We'll look at two different things tonight that talk about who Jesus was truly as the Son of Man. Jesus was making this large claim to be the Son of Man based upon what was said in Daniel chapter 7. But I want to remind you that this was not the first time that Jesus had made this claim. Because we know through the book of Mark that Jesus was continually making this claim also to his disciples. Uh, He made this claim privately to begin with as being the Son of Man. And then now here he is at the point that he is about to die and he makes this claim publicly. It's interesting when you read the book of Mark, you find out that Jesus, when you read the book of Mark, Jesus is that gospel, or excuse me, Mark is that gospel in which Jesus would perform miracles or heal people and then he would tell them what many times in Mark? Anybody know? Don't tell anybody. Really? Jesus? Don't tell anybody? But here's the deal. What Jesus was doing is Jesus was revealing himself gradually to more and more and to more people until the time came that he then publicly reveals right here before the high priest that he's the son of man. See, he'd already told his disciples a couple different times, hey, I'm the son of man. Right? He would already referenced his disciples a couple of different times that not only was he the son of man, but he was the same son of man that was spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. So there was this private revealing of who he was, but now it's, it's public. Everybody knows. So, so what's the significance of that? Well, to understand it, we need to know two things about what it means for Jesus to be the son of man. The first thing is that Jesus is the promised Son of Man. He's the promised Son of Man. Now, when we look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 14, you find that what Jesus or what Daniel is writing about here, this vision that he's had, uh, this prophecy that he's laying out, is of the end times. It's of what we would reference today as Jesus' second coming, his return, right? 
And, and so when Jesus then, in Matthew chapter 40, uh, 24, verse 29 through 31, and then he also in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, the first time to his disciples, second time there when he was facing the high priest, uh, when Jesus says that he's the Son of Man and references Daniel chapter 7, Jesus is explaining something to his disciples. And what's really interesting is that when you turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through verse 18, you find the exact same terminology that you find in reference to the Son of Man in Daniel and in Matthew and Mark. You got it? Does that make sense? So Daniel, the Gospels, and Revelation all have the exact same terminology for who the Son of Man is. They all talk about him coming in the clouds. I had a professor that said that that he was the cloud rider. Right, That the Son of Man was the cloud rider. That that's who Jesus was when he called himself the Son of Man. But what does that mean? What was Jesus claiming? Well, what Jesus was claiming in these verses is he was claiming that he was the fulfillment of prophecy in Daniel. Now, you have to understand a couple things about prophecy to understand exactly what, what Jesus is saying here. And that is, is that a lot of the prophecies that we hear about in the Bible, now when we talk about eschatology, prophecy, all that stuff, a lot of times we like to point to what? What gets a lot of people's attention? Dr. Mills is going to talk about it in the fall. Revelation, right? But what we can't forget is what's really cool about the Bible is there's so much prophecy that we've already seen fulfilled, isn't there? Right? There's there's already this, this realized prophecy that's already happened. That doesn't negate the fact that there's still what we call consummated eschatology or consummated prophecy that's going to happen later. That doesn't, that doesn't negate the fact that there's that not yet stuff out there, right? But what Jesus is saying here is that he is the fulfillment of both. Check that out. Jesus is saying, yes, what Daniel said was going to happen at the end. Yeah, that's me. And I'm standing here in front of you. So I am fulfilling this prophecy as we speak, and yet I will also fulfill it later on. I will return on the clouds. So yes, I am the Son of God. You said it, not me. The promise is fulfilled, and guess what? I'm also going to return on the clouds. So that's why they tore their clothes, because they recognized the promise that had been given and the fact that Jesus was claiming to fulfill that promise. So... Jesus claims to fulfill the promise of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 14, and then Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through 18, and then Revelation chapter 14, reference that again and what's going to happen. Um, So we can't miss sight of the fact that Jesus is the promised Son of Man. It's significant that he used that term, not so much because it was all over Ezekiel, but because what happened in Daniel chapter 7. And you can't miss that. So who is this promised son of man? What's so special about him? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to tear it down a little bit and figure it out. The first thing that we need to see is that Jesus, really the only thing we need to see about what's so special about him is he's powerful. Remember I said earlier that ultimately at the end of the day, when Jesus talked about being the son of man, most of the time it was in reference to his authority. And then there's a couple of times where we see that it's also in reference to his suffering. But what we're going to see as we look at this power, the fact that Jesus was the powerful son of man, is we're going to actually see before this is over with that even in the suffering of the son of man, Jesus still was in control. Jesus still was fulfilling a plan. Jesus still was powerful even over that. So here we see that Jesus is the powerful son of man. 
What the first type of power that we see is that the Son of Man has power over the nations. He has power over the nations. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, go back and read that with me again, and you'll find that it says in verse 14 that to him, talking about the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, what does that sound familiar to? We talked about it last week. All those prophecies about David and his sons, doesn't it? Right? See how those go together? So when Jesus is making the claim that he is the promised son of man, inherently in that claim is the fact that he has the same power that was promised to the sons of David. The power over all the nations. Uh, matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, it tells us this. It says this. I'll begin in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Who? All the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? Because the one who rules and reigns over everything is ruling and reigning over everything. And every earthly dominion no longer will have any dominion. You see how that works? Right? Why? Because the Son of Man is powerful over all nations. By the way, this also points us back to uh, Daniel chapter 7 and the fact that everything that Daniel talks about when he talks about the Ancient of Days, uh, when he talks about this, this kingdom, this dominion, this power, this glory, uh, is the fact that it, there is going to be a time, especially if you go and read Revelation, there is going to be a time where the Son of Man is going to be exalted over everyone. You got that? Exalted over everyone. So the Son of Man has power over the nations. The second thing you need to see about Jesus being the powerful Son of Man is the Son of Man has power over nature. The Son of Man has power over nature. We'll stay right here in Daniel chapter 7 for just a minute and we'll look for just a second at what that tells us about nature. Uh, it says there, I was watching in the night visions and one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. I don't know anybody that can ride on clouds, do you? But I would say that's dominion over nature and power over nature, wouldn't you? Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation, we just read this a second ago, of those days the sun will be what? Darkened. The moon will be what? Not give its light. The stars will do what? Fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. That sounds a whole lot like a lot of the terminology that you read in Revelation of what's going to take place. Talking about crazy, just ridiculous, magnificent, awesome, you put whatever word you want to put in there, natural phenomenon that we never have seen to the likes of such. Did that even make sense what I just said? That was crazy, right? You get the point. It's that crazy. It's not going to make any sense. The stars fall out of the sky? Really? Wow. The earth is shaken? Right? I mean, the sun goes dark? By the way, it's not a coincidence that when Jesus died on the cross, there was a whole bunch of natural phenomenon that took place. Wasn't there? 
Why? Because the Son of Man has power over nature, doesn't he? He really does. So, the Son of Man has power over the nations. The Son of Man has power over nature. But we find in Mark chapter 2, verse 5 through 10, the story of Jesus healing the paralytic man. And, and if you turn to Mark chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 10, you find very quickly there that uh, the first thing in verse 5 of Mark chapter 2 that Jesus says to this paralytic man are these words. Son, your sins are forgiven you. It's the first thing he says. Now immediately, the scribes are sitting around. They start reasoning in their heart. And it says what? Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> you just answered your own question, didn't you? Right? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately, the man gets up, takes his bed, gets out of the presence of them all, And they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We find Jesus referencing himself as the Son of Man while healing a paralytic. Now, what's interesting about this is we know that Jesus healed a whole bunch of other people, right? But what's interesting about this specific incident in Mark chapter 2 is that what is the first thing that Jesus says to them? Or says to him, he says what? Your sins are forgiven you. This dude is sitting there and he needs physical help, right? He needs to be healed. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was pretty smart. He knew guys were going to ask questions. They did. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who, 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 who can do that but God? Well, God can. You're right. Who can do that but God? Right? And then Jesus says, <laughs> well, now that we're in that conversation, to prove my point, I'll heal him. And now you'll know I am the Son of Man. Who, by the way, can forgive sins. So see, not only in this story do we see that the Son of Man has power over sickness and disease, but we see that the Son of Man has power over sin. That's even better than the sickness and disease, isn't it? And do you know what? If the Son of Man has power over sin, then guess what else the Son of Man has power over? Our opportunity for salvation. And all you got to do is look to Luke chapter 19 and you find the story of that wee little man, Zacchaeus. And at the end of that story, Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. And then look at what it says. Just in case there was any confusion, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. It's his purpose. It's why he came. That's why he left the throne of heaven. To seek and to save that which was lost. I am so glad and thankful that the Son of Man has power over sin and over salvation. That's, look, the sickness, the disease, I mean, the nature, the nations, that, I mean, that's some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. 
But sin and salvation is what every one of us must have to have eternal life. We've got to have him having power over sin and salvation. Because otherwise, we are hopeless and we are helpless. The Son of Man has power over the nations, power over nature, power over sickness, power over disease, over sin, over salvation. You may ask how? Well, because he has power of the Father. Do you know in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 through 31, when Jesus is talking about himself being the Son of Man and what's going to happen with the Son of Man, um, you find there that uh, these words are used which are very powerful. It says that Jesus, the Son of Man, would come with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet. The Son of Man has great power. The Son of Man has great glory. Why? Because in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, we're told, they ask the question, who can forgive sins but God? The reason that the Son of Man's power is great and the Son of Man's power is, is gloriful or is why? It's very simple. Because He has the same power that the Father has. Right? Gloriful is not a word. Powerful and great glory. The Son of Man has the same power that the Father has. If He has the power to forgive sin, then He's got some great power and some great glory, doesn't He? He has the same power that the Father has because Matthew chapter 26 tells us that what? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Isn't he? he and, and, and then, what's really great about it, is in Daniel chapter 7, when you flip back to there, at the end of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, at the end of that, that verse, it talks about the fact that his dominion is going to be for what? Forever. Right? Think about the fact that, listen, his power is for all of eternity. It's eternal. It lasts forever. See, the power that we may have at any given point on the face of this earth will at some point end. Now, we can all talk about, well, I'm not power hungry. I don't care less if I have all the power. But the bottom line is there are certain specific things in our life that you better believe that you and I all like to have control over. There are times where we want to be in control and we want to be the boss. And if that wasn't true, I'm going to get real spiritual on you very quick, like that we'd have a whole lot easier time turning stuff over to Jesus. But you know, every single man-made power, every single man-made control that is out there and earthly power and earthly control that is out there will not last. Because even if you are the boss of everything in this world that you think you can be the boss of, number one, there's somebody always over you somewhere, right? But number two, more importantly than that, at some point we're going to die. But I serve a God who is eternally powerful. And I serve a Savior who, listen, His power and His dominion will last forever. It's not just over all the nations. It's for all time. Why? Because He is the beginning and He is the end. Son of Man has the power of the Father. But I want you to see, finally tonight, that the Son of Man has power even over suffering and death. 
Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus is explaining to the disciples what's going to happen. And he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31, he says basically the same thing. It says, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. After he is killed, he will rise the third day. Then Mark chapter 10, verse 33 through 34, he says, Hey, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. <laughs> and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn the Son of Man to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, scourge him, spit on him, kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now, I want to stop just right there before we read one more verse. And I want to say this. See, the first reason that sticks out to me that he even has power over his suffering is the fact that at the end of all three of those verses, he says he will rise again. You see that? He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be sped upon. But the Son of Man will suffer, but yet rise again. He'll suffer. He'll die. But he has power over those things, so he will rise again. The Son of Man that rose Lazarus from the dead, right? That guy, yes, Jesus himself will rise again. If that's not power over suffering and death, I'm not really sure what is. Right? Why? Because he will live again. But the other thing is that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he tells us this. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Have you ever thought about the fact that the whole purpose that Jesus came was to suffer and to serve and to die? That's why he came. He didn't come to gain the authority of the Son of Man. He already had that authority. He left the portals of heaven. He, he already had all the authority. He gave up heaven to come to a sinful world and to suffer for you and for me. But yet we still know he has power and control over that because what happens? He says, I'm going to rise again. And when you add that to what we know from Revelation and what we know from Daniel, listen, that tells me that the Son of Man, my Savior, Jesus Christ, He suffered, He bled, He died, and He rose again so that you and I one day will meet Him in the clouds and we will live forever and ever as well. The fact that Jesus is the Son of Man gives us hope. It gives us hope because even in the midst of the humility and the suffering and the pain and the struggle that he went through, even to the point of his death, we still see all wrapped up in that, the authority that was only meant for the Son of Man. Because we're promised and we know he overcame it. And he lives again. So you and I can live as well. Sounds a lot like some of those Son of David prophecies, doesn't it? It does. See, it, it then puts us in a spot where we have to answer a simple question, and that question is, what do we do with this? 
What do, what do you do with the Son of Man? Well, I'll tell you one. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is the Son of Man. He is who He says He is. It's all through Scripture, from cover to cover, from the Old Testament to the Gospels to the end of the book. Jesus is the Son of Man. And there is hope for those that know him because when you look at what's going to happen at the end of the day, what's going to happen is, is that we just read one scripture already and in Revelation it talks about it as well that when he is coming back on the clouds, he is then going to separate those who are believers and those who are not. Do you hear me? He will. So if you know him, there's hope. If you don't, you need to know him. And when we're done tonight, you find somebody, you find one of us, you make that decision tonight. Secondly, what does it do for us? Well, what's really interesting about this whole idea of the Son of Man is that there's a twofold purpose here in that title. One, yes, it does show us the humanity of him, but the second thing it does, and John Piper says it this way, he says that the title that Jesus uses as the Son of Man has a double meaning. It has a double meaning of of being a human, but yet also being the exalted heavenly one. In other words, it shows us his humanity, but yet it also shows us his deity, right? And so what that means is that for those that are believers, we ought to exalt him. One day he's going to be exalted anyways, so we ought to do it right now. We ought to do it by sharing our faith. We ought to do it by being obedient. We ought to do it by doing the things that he's called us to do and discerning his will and following his will in our life. So my prayer tonight is simply this, and this is where we're going to close, and that is this. Is that, listen, if you've never come to the realization that Jesus is the Son of Man, then you need to do that tonight. You need to do it by simply asking Him to forgive you of your sins and to save you and accepting the fact that He is who He is and telling Him that you believe that. Asking Him to be your Savior and Lord, and He'll do just that. And if you know Him as Savior and Lord, then at the end of the day, listen, He ought to be exalted. Because he gave up his throne in heaven to come here to live in a sinful, dark, fallen world. To be sinless in the midst of that. To die and to rise again. So what that tells me is this. My Savior suffered and he bled and he died and he rose again. So that me, so that I, so that you so that those who know him as Lord and Savior could come out of the suffering and the mess of our sin, come out of the prison of our sin, come out of the turmoil of our sin, to come out of the fallenness of our sin. Die to that. Trust in his death, burial, and resurrection so that we may live eternally with him. The son of David, the son of man, and next week, we'll see the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are who you say you are. And I can trust that, Lord, because it's all over your word. Lord, from cover to cover, it's there. And there's so many different ways in which we can see the truth of who you are. And so, Lord, I thank you that because of that, I can trust you as my Savior. And, Lord, I thank you that because of that, Lord, Lord, that one day I can live with you for all of eternity. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, it sure is good to turn the pulpit over to someone and know that we don't miss a beat uh, when our student collegiate uh, minister speaks.
uh, here's what uh, I need to do. I need to speak with 